Welcome back to another episode of GEMS Podcast with Genesis Amaris Kemp, where the core pillars are to educate, inspire, and motivate. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this segment. Welcome back to GEMS Podcast. I'm your host, Genesis Amaris Kemp, and with me today is Crystal Clark. And here's a bit about Crystal. She's a native of Portsmouth, Virginia. She earned her bachelor's in sociology and psychology at the College of William and Mary in Williamsburg, um, Virginia. And she has a master's in education in college student personnel at the University of Maryland, College Park. Upon graduation, she moved to Durham, North Carolina, where she served as a program coordinator for fraternity and sorority life at Duke University. Then she moved again, y'all, to Nashville to take on the role of Associate Director of Greek Life at Vanderbilt University. In 2013, she was selected to be the Associate Director of the newly created Office of Student Leadership Development, and in 2015, promoted to Director. She's been doing quite a bit in the education space, but in 2017, Crystal became the first Black president of the Junior League of Nashville in its 96-year history. Y'all, if that doesn't spark something in you, it should. Then she served two terms as chair of the advisory board of the Women's Fund of the Community Foundation of Middle Tennessee, and in 2021, became the chair of the board of directors for the Bellport Theater. So without further ado, let's welcome Crystal Clark. She will also explain a little bit more of what she's doing on the forefront as well as behind the scenes. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, thank you for having me here today. My pleasure, Crystal. So go ahead and walk us through your journey a bit before we dive into our topic today, where we're going to learn about Clifton Strengths, higher education, as well as weave in some DE&I, which is diversity, equity, and inclusion. Plus, let's not forget about the beat, which is belonging. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So yeah, like you said, I am from Virginia. I am a first-generation college student. And so when I left to go off to William and Mary in Williamsburg, Virginia, and that is Colonial Williamsburg, where they still do historical reenactment every day. That's where I went to college for four years. I fell in love with higher education. I really fell in love with college and did not want to leave. I was a very engaged student leader and loved helping younger students as I sort of went through the years, helping them to sort of navigate the collegiate experience. I knew next to nothing. You know, my mother did not go to college, so she, I couldn't call her and get, you know, all the information about how it works. And so I met some really fantastic people at my undergrad institution that then inspired me to go into the same work. So I went to Maryland to get my master's to really learn how to work in a college environment and how to work with college students and did that at Duke for four years at Vanderbilt for, oh my gosh, nine years, and then realized that I had a very deep passion with helping to educate the staff members who were working with the students. When you work in student affairs, your whole life is the student. They take up your entire 24-7, and it can take a lot out of you as a person. And so for me, I was like, hey, who's sort of filling up the cups of these amazing, talented professionals who are working with the students? 
And so my office started developing employee learning programs for those people. And that grew faster than I ever thought it would. And in 2020, in the pandemic, everyone who had been doing that work at Vanderbilt retired early. And so all of these jobs open. And I realized that it was now the best time for me to make that next step. So in September 2020, I stepped into human resources, and now I get to do employee learning full time with an amazing team here at Vanderbilt. Um, during 2020 as well, while I was sitting at home, I said, you know what, I want to start my business, right? Because I'm sitting here, things are happening in the world. I have been doing a lot of speaking and facilitating and consulting on the side, but had never formalized it at all. And I said, what have I got to lose, right? So I went ahead and set up Equip to Thrive and have been working pretty steadily since I started um, virtually and now back in person in keynotes and workshops and sitting on panels um, and just meeting some really great people around the country doing work through that company. That is amazing. And I want to thank you so much for all that you have accomplished so far mm -hmm. and the more that is coming afterwards, especially with you starting your own business equipped mm -hmm. to thrive. And with you being a first generation college student, do you think that paved the way for some of the younger people in your family to really um, start looking at college or maybe some of and the older ones, or like I say, instead of saying older, seasoned ones. Seasoned. They were just born earlier. Um, I, <laughs> you know, here's the thing. I don't have a large family at all. Um, and so I have one cousin who is younger than me. And I do think that the way that I've sort of navigated life and also the way that my brother navigated life who went to college, college didn't work out, then went to the military, then went back to college and now has his MBA from, from my alma mater. So we now share an alma mater with each other, which is very cool. I definitely think that has modeled the way for my cousin to see that there's so many different ways that you can do this thing called life, right? And college isn't for everyone at the same time, but now he is, he has a great job now. He's gone in the military, did his Air Force thing. He has a wonderful job now. And now he's thinking about how do I integrate the education piece back into my life now? So I do think it has been helpful. You know, I think for me, I've always wanted to use my presence as an invitation to other people. And I think that's kind of how I operated. You know, I went to a predominantly white institution. Um, and so looking at the younger Black students and saying, you can do these things. You can be a tour guide. You can be an RA. You can do these like upper level prestige leadership positions. Let me help you figure it out. Let me help show you the way. That's kind of how I've been and how I continue to be um, in my community and also with other students and people that I come in contact with. Beautiful. And with you going to a predominantly um, white college, so also known as PWI, mm -hmm. and then now working in some of those spaces, how have you seen a change in the parallel? And I want you to pair that with DEIMB because sometimes I feel like some organizations are only there to check the box, but whenever you get to look at it from both sides of the spectrum, not only from a student perspective, but also from from an employee perspective, you then get to come up with the ways to really bridge the gap. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's depending on what college you're going to, right? <laughs> Everyone's sort of doing this race at their own pace, you know what I mean? And so luckily I've been at institutions where there is still a lot of work to do. I'm not saying that there isn't. I am saying, however, that I think there has been some pretty intentional work to figure out how do we create a space 
that is more welcoming for all types of people. Now, that means a lot of different things. That means setting up identity centers so that people feel like they have resources and support and people that really understand their lived experience, right? That means looking at the economics of college um, because we know that identities, right? They, they interplay with each other. And so college is super expensive. The colleges that I work at are super expensive. And so they've had to think about how do we create more aid opportunities so that more students can actually afford to be here at the institution. We have to look at leadership, you know, who's in our classrooms, who's leading our organizations, right? Who are the staff members who work there? Um, so I, I think looking at the campus programming, what speakers are we bringing, right? So what sort of ideas are we bringing to campus? Our students are wonderful because let me tell you, when they don't like something, they tell you, and they will protest and they will camp out and they will write the like these fire op-eds, like you know exactly how they feel. So I think that the campuses are doing some of them as much as they can to create a better environment for DEI and B. However, students are people. <laughs> they are humans, right? And a college is just a microcosm of our bigger society. So every viewpoint that you want to think of, we have it on a college campus. And so when students are living together, they're in class together, they're eating together, you're together all the time in this campus environment, those clashes are going to happen. And people are going to say things, unfortunately, that hurt other people, um, that continue cycles of oppression. Um, you have roommate issues, you have student organizations that are really never going to be in alignment with DEI and B. That's not who they are. That's not what they care about. I live in the South. I'm from the South. All of that is still here. And so I think on a day-to-day -day basis, that's a lot of what we're dealing with here is how are we helping the sort of student aspect and them having conversations with each other, challenging each other, right? Learning from each other. And also I think unlearning some of the things that they've brought with them from home. Um, so I think all of that comes together. And as staff members, we get to be a part of that process, right? We also get to be a welcoming face for students who come to campus who look like us or who share our identities. And so you have people that will reach out to be mentors or they'll offer themselves to say, listen, if you need anything, please let me know. And that's been a really fulfilling part of working on a college campus as well. And I like how you guys are open to like letting them know if you need a mentor, they could reach out because then it's building that relationship. But And then while that relationship is building, it's the trust is there as well. And then once they have a good relationship with you, then they tell other um, peers mm -hmm. their experience. And that also raises the bar as well. Mm -hmm. And then I guess, you know, one thing with um, media today, like there's a show called Grownish where they're um, talking about the <laughs> college campuses. And I just wish that it would, uh, it is realistic, but I want to see it actually from college campuses around the world, because I think that will definitely help raise the awareness there from the outside looking in versus like, you know, the media, because the media always can sway things in their favor because, you know, they're in business to make money and et cetera. But now I kind of want to shift gears a bit, um, Crystal, unless you want to add anything to that. No, 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 you're fine. Yeah. I want to go into Clifton strengths and I want you to talk about what are Clifton strengths for those who are listening and viewing that may not know. And how can we, um, enforce it on the faculty side as well as the student side? 
Yeah, well, it's difficult to enforce anything for faculty. So that's point blank. <laughs> faculty members kind of do what they're going to do. It's the truth, you know, especially when you have tenured faculty members. So you can create opportunities for faculty members, but it's difficult to force them to do anything. So that's the first thing I would have put out there. Clifton Strengths is really a self-awareness tool and it is developed um, by Gallup. Now, some people may have taken it over the years and it's Strengths Quest or Strengths Finder. It is now called Clifton Strengths. And depending on which, which version of the instrument that you take, you could get your top five talent themes or you could get your full 34. It's really up to you. Your full 34 is a lot of information. And so I always tell people to start with their top five first. And the data that you get back is really helping you to understand what is it that you do very naturally in the world that you can use to help you be successful in whatever way that you've defined it. So you may see words like maximizer and input and harmony and relator. Um, you may see words like restorative. And so once you get those top five back, it's about learning what each of those themes means. And then how can I use this to accomplish what I want to accomplish in this world, right? So it, my top five is in my email signature, right? So I look at it every day that I am a maximizer, input, relator, significance, um, and I'm forgetting my fifth one because I always forget my fifth one. My maximizer kind of rules my world, which is good and bad. Um, because the great thing about your strengths is that there are very positive sides of it. But if you don't steward your strengths well, there can also be some negative sides of it, right? So what we're trying to do is to get everyone to see that everyone, everyone in the world is talented in some way, shape, or form. Everyone. Sometimes we just don't realize it. But once you know what those talents are, how do you name them? How do you claim them? Really claim the power and the edge that they bring to you. And then how do you aim them towards whatever challenge or goal stands in your way? We love it because it gives our staff members language to talk to each other. Um, sometimes it's difficult to give feedback in the workplace. Sometimes it's difficult to have a conversation if two employees aren't getting along. But if you can have your strengths in front of each other, you can speak to each other using that language, right? It makes it easier because you can sort of share that language. Um, and it can also help supervisors or leaders understand their people and how to best utilize their people and also how to create a better workplace experience for those people. Um, we do a little activity in the workshop where I ask you to write your name five times with your dominant hand. Now, for most people, you've been writing your name for a very long time. So if I told you to do that, you go, oh my God, Crystal, that's so easy. I didn't have to think about it. It was very pleasant. It was not stressful. It's very natural. Now, if I said, hey, switch over to your non-dominant hand. Now I'm a left-hander. So my non-dominant hand is my right hand. Writing with my right hand is a pain. And I've had to do it a couple of times because of some shoulder issues. The quality is not great. It stresses me out. I can't read it. It takes me a long time. That's what it's like when you're operating outside of your strength zone. When you feel that way at work, you're likely not doing the things that you do super well. So how do we create a workplace where it feels like you're writing with your dominant hand more than it feels like you're writing with your non-dominant hand? We really, using that tool, just want people to have better days at work. Who doesn't want better days at work? We all need better days at work. <laughs> And you will have better days at work if you have the opportunity to do what you do best. 
So we love it as an instrument. We, we, we keep it very fun. Um, we get our students to take it. We get staff members to take it. We create opportunities for faculty members to take it if they want to. But I have found that when a team has that language, they are more successful in the way that they work together. And I think it's super beneficial. I haven't done the Clifton Shrinks, but I've done the, the predictive um, index one. And okay. I've done... Um, one called equilibrium where they do it based on your colors. So your colors kind of drives like what quadrant you're in. And it yeah. tells you like if you're action, um, do you take action, a doer and et cetera. I forgot the other two uh, quadrants. And it was actually beneficial, especially coming from a male dominated um, career that I worked in for 12 years. My background's oil and gas and I have a supply chain degree. <laughs> And I'm down here in the South. So um, add all that together and it's like, right. Um, right. <laughs> and it's so hard. And, but then once you know who you are, as well as whose you are, you're able to walk into a room with confidence. And then based on what the assessment says about you, you're able to play into other people's strengths and have them play into yours. So you can break down those um, physical or invisible barriers to make it more conducive to thrive in. And it kind of goes back to the name of your business, Equipped to Thrive. Who doesn't want to be equipped to thrive? And one thing that uh, <laughs> I really really want to point out is that you talked about Shonda Rhimes like in one of your segments offline and the experiences of being a black woman in predominantly white spaces and I think that's so important to talk about because for a white male or female who's on the outside looking in and they're like oh I get what you're going through you don't actually get it because you've never been a colored person <laughs> in a white space so how can we break down some of those barriers because it happens everywhere it happens in all industries it happens in higher education and etc and I feel like we need to engage in those difficult as well as courageous conversations. Yeah, and it's so interesting. I don't know if you are you know, keep up with pop culture, but did you see the comment that Jane Campion made about Serena and Venus when she won an award? So um, Jane is a director of a movie called Power of the Dog, which is nominated for Best Picture for the Oscars. But she won a, another award and she got on stage in front of Serena and Venus and said, you know what, like you all are marvelous and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but what I'm doing is a lot harder because I have to go against the boys. Like she said that to them and Venus is looking at her like, like you're looking at me right now. And the room gets really uncomfortable because we're like, why would you say that to them? And also, yes, they do have to go against men. And also they're also black women who have an added layer of, of, of oppression that they've been trying to navigate in this very white sport. There's a whole movie about it, Jane. That's why they were there, right? Because their movie is also nominated for Best Picture. And the fact that, you know, this white woman gets on stage and feels the need to say that on that level, you know, you can only imagine what's happening for people who are not, you know, Hollywood actors or famous athletes. It's even worse. You know, I, I think for me, when I read Shonda Rhimes' book, which I think everyone should read, The Year of Yes, um, that first only different thing, it just kind of hit me in my gut because I totally know what that is and I totally understand the pressure that comes with that. Um, and that people can look at you and say, there is no pressure. You made it. 
right? Like you did it. So everything should be fine now. It's kind of like when everyone looked at Obama and said, we live in a post-racial society, which is not true at all, right? And he has been very much tokenized because he's his first. So that means that now everyone can be president, right? No, like (laughs) absolutely not. And so I think for me, and I have, when I stepped into the role of the junior league president, you know, you talked about that sort of 96 year organization. I was very vocal with sort of the pressure and sort of the baggage that came with that. And also the bittersweet nature of we're still celebrating the first right in 96 years. So I love it when we have first, but I'm also like, gosh, I would like when we don't have any more first, right? When we have opportunities where this is a norm and not something that we have to like outwardly celebrate because we have the first of a particular identity. Um, So I think it's important to let people know, I've always been very open with, I know you all see me as like, oh my gosh, look at her. She, and I think, I don't think they see like how, when they say, oh, you're an example, right? Or you're a credit, you know, like that stuff is actually very hurtful and harmful, right? To to sort of celebrate that in that way. But I've always been very open about sort of the barriers that still surround me, even though I am in this chair and the things that I have to be careful about or the things that people may not want me to say or, you know, do people expect me to always bring up equity, diversity, and inclusion because I'm sitting in this chair and nine times out of 10, I will. Um, but there are things that come with being the first or only or different that are very difficult and people need a lot of support in. And so for me, I've always just been very open about having that conversation and saying, I am so happy that I'm here, but here's what we know about my organization. Here's what we know about me as a person. And here's how these things could clash. And everyone's not gonna be happy that I'm here right? And that could have an impact on the organization. It could have an impact on me. It could have an impact on you as a member, but I've never sort of shied away from that experience. And I'm glad that you go in there remaining true to your core values and your mission, but also you're bringing in the organization's missions and values and you're um, mirroring the two so they get intercept and intertwine because sometimes when you, whenever you are the first like for example you may the fir- be the first one to start in a role that the company just created and then they expect you to be that spokesperson for everyone that looks like you I don't think like everyone does in my racial group so I don't want to be that one person that gets up there just like you don't think for every Caucasian person or every Latin person or etc. We have to stop um, looking at people being the first and thinking that, okay, it's the end all be all. Even though they're the first, they're still a human being and there's a job there that they are going to do. And they're paving the way for other people who are coming along besides them as well as behind them. And we need to really break break that down because I feel in my personal opinion, that is a barrier that they're putting up there because if you're so busy worrying about the first, are they going to be the last? Well, and I think for some people, it's like, you know, like you said, it's that checkbox, but we had someone. So now, you know, we can wait for 20 more years and maybe we'll get somebody else, but, but you listen, she's on the, her picture's up, right? She's on the website. She's here. Um, I don't know if people are really great at doing succession planning when it comes to DEI and B, right? So it's like we have this one person. So now it's this person's job, right? Like this person needs to prepare everybody else. 
And I may want to help with that, but it's really the company's job or the organization's job to continue to grow in ways that other women who look like me or share other historically excluded identities want to step into these leadership roles. But I think in many cases, it's check the box, you know, and I think 2020 brought around a lot of check the box opportunities for companies. It just did. We've got to do this now. Put these people on the board now. Elect this person now. Put this person on the website now. And so now it'll be interesting to see where we are five, six years from now with all these folks that were put into places during this very tumultuous, you know, high media year when it came to diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging. I could definitely say coming from the oil and gas um, perspective and coming from the South, that I felt like those check the boxes are no longer in place and they're falling apart because um, coming from an organization that was Fortune 500 that worked out for seven and a half years, but then you're checking this box to talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, but then you see the layoff pool and you lay off a lot of minorities. So what did you do with the money that you were given for funding? And why were these um, minorities laid off, laid off? Like that that doesn't paint the picture that you're being diverse, you're, um, equitable, inclusive, and belonging. And quite frankly speaking, I feel like we need to hold those individuals accountable and they should give that money back, especially if you haven't held up your end of the bargain. Um, I also wrote the book Chocolate Drop in Corporate America, From the Pit to the Palace. I wrote it as a way to educate other people, not if you're African-American, but everyone as a whole. But right. I felt like, you know, some people gave backlash because they're like, why the name chocolate drop in corporate America? And I'm like, am I not melanated? Do people not like chocolate? And I did work in corporate America. And you can't tell me that those experiences didn't happen to me because you weren't living it and you weren't working in that environment. And it actually, you know, the book did very well. And, you know, I have white men who are reading the book, some of my old Mm -hmm. colleagues, I have um, black men who are reading the book who said, after I read your book, one, one gentleman said, it encouraged me to talk about my own situation of working for the U.S. government where I went through, you know, mm-hmm. something that was very hard to the fact that former President Obama had to get involved in his story. Plus, he went up against the Board of Education with his daughter, who was a victim of bullying, who almost took her life. And now she has a clothing line and et cetera. But he's like, had you never put out that book, I wouldn't have known someone else was going through something similar, even though we were in different industries. Right. No, absolutely. And so I I think, you know, what you're talking about is, is the importance of, you know, I know it can be difficult for people to be vulnerable and share their story, but it does do a lot for a lot of people who you may not even think are listening to you or watching you. You may think that they've got the perfect list of identities together and they are really thriving through this thing. And that may not actually be the case, right? And so I think it's great when people share who they are and put it out there because it does create the opportunity to say, hello, you sitting across from me, I want you to share as well, right? And you can have that conversation with me and hopefully we can support each other through this journey. Yeah, and we could definitely take it as a learning. And now I wanna switch gears as we're winding down, Crystal. And I want you to give two gems to help the listeners and viewers gravitate to it, plus your call to action. Yeah, 
Um, I think there are there are two things that I try to tell people. Uh, one is that, and I really take this from Gallup and really try to let people know that we are all imperfect and we are talented. And I think the word and is very important. None of us are perfect. That's a fool's errand. We have to stop chasing it. Um, but we are all talented and we all have something to offer no matter what context we are in. So always cherish that about yourself. Um, and I think a tool like Clifton Strengths will help you highlight those challenges and become aware of them. And the second thing I always tell people is to never forget the mountains that you've already moved. Um, life is really challenging, right? And a new challenge comes your way every single day. But I promise you that 99.9% .9 of us have done really hard things already. And so don't sort of like, forget that you've had that experience, right? Don't forget that you've overcome something already. You have a toolbox that can help you get over the next mountain that can help you move that mountain out of your way. Um, you know, when you do it again, you're not a beginner. You're someone who's starting with experience and you have to embrace that about yourself. So take a deep breath and say, listen, this is not my first mountain. Here comes my second. I'm going to get through my third and we're going to make it through this thing. So just remember the, those two things about yourself. And I think it can really help you navigate life in, in a better way and a way that helps you to honor yourself um, and really love yourself well. Beautiful gems there, Crystal. And what's your call to action for this segment? Yes. So you can find me. My business is called Equipped to Thrive. Um, I am on Instagram as my name, Crystal N. Clark. You can also find me on LinkedIn under that. And my website is crystalnclark.com. Listen, I love to do virtual experiences, in real life experiences, workshops, keynotes, panelists. I love working with college women. I love working with nonprofits, small businesses, um, but invite me out to you. I would love to come see you or see you from my living room because Zoom works great. Um, and we can talk Clifton Strengths. We can talk leadership development. We can talk equity, diversity, and inclusion. But I really just want to equip you to thrive in the way that you want to in this world. I think we all just need a toolbox of, of really goodies that we can pull from. And I want to help you build your, your toolbox that can help you navigate life. And there you have it, listeners and viewers of GEMS Podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Genesis Amaris Kemp, and you just heard Crystal Clark. We really unpacked a lot in this segment, so make sure you listen to this segment again, share with some family members and friends, and remember, you are your biggest asset. Take that leap of faith and sow the right seeds so you can reap that abundant harvest. Until we chat next time, Peace, love, and lots of blessings. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It can be found on 40 plus platforms and follow us on YouTube, Gems with Genesis Amaris Kemp for all video content. Thank you for listening to another segment of Gems Podcast. Hope you enjoyed this recording. Make sure you like, comment, share, and subscribe to GEMS Podcast on your audio platform, as well as our YouTube channel, GEMS with Genesis Amaris Kemp. We would love for you to be a sponsor, so please reach out via email at GEMS, G-E-M-S, with W-I-T-H, Genesis, G-E-N-E-S-I-S, Amaris, A-M-A-R-I-S, Kemp, K-E-M-S, 
at gmail.com where your brand, your swag, your services can be here on GEMS Podcast. <laughs>